Welcome to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Today is February the 3rd, 2016. It is currently 5.03 p.m. and we are, I am broadcasting to you live from the University of British Columbia, Vancouver campus from unceded Musqueam territory. My name is Christine Kim and I will be your host for this evening. Today on the show, we have guests. Uh, we have guest Michael Murkowski, who is the visual artist of Space Melt, and Howard Blank, who is the president of Variety Board Directors. So please do stay t- tuned to learn much more about these two individuals as we host uh, live interviews with each and every single one of them. Uh, we've also got another push interview by our very own Ashley Park, who will be coming into the studio a little bit later on today. And we've got several reviews actually by new and old arts reporters of events that they attended this past week. Um, But moving on to our first guest for the evening, Michael, could you please introduce the other guests you have uh, in our studio today? Well, it's great to be here and I'm here with Sam Davidson who's also a co-founder of this art music experimental group called Space Melt. Oh, it's very good. I'm very glad to have both of you here. Um, so tell me about some of the art that's going to be featured on Space Melt this year. Well, the thing about a Space Melt is we're not really sure what it's going to look like until it happens. Every Space Melt, and this is the seventh anniversary of since we founded at the Banff Center seven years ago um, that we've been performing across uh, mostly Western Canada, And what we basically do is we get a whole bunch of different artists and musicians together and we turn them loose in a space and melt the space. Melt the space. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's Sam. Well, melting is just, it's sort of, uh, it sort of just means bringing everything together in a way that uh, is sort of totally unique. So it's, when when a space melt goes into a space, it's a, sort of a full immersion uh, and finding different ways to use it as a performance entity and um, yeah, just to just to let everything mix together in this wild cacophonous, but also not you know uh, creative event. Yeah, and I would say it's also it's like about I mean literally about transforming a space, like taking an environment that maybe normally hosts just bands, rock bands or just hosts an art exhibition of paintings on the wall. And then we transform that space, and we transform the people that are there experiencing it, watching it. And then I think it's also a really transformational experience for the artists and musicians that are taking part of it. Everybody who leaves one of these shows leaves saying, like, wow, what just happened? Like, that was so weird. I've never seen anything like that. Hmm. And what inspired you, Michael, just in the first place to even start something like Space Melt? I mean, it's already your guys' seventh anniversary. Congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, um, Sam and I met at the Banff Center in 2009, and we were each individually doing art residencies there. And there's kind of like this cliche of the of things happening at the Banff Center where you just meet people and you start collaborating with one another. And uh, so I was, I became friends with Sam and, and him and our other co-founder, Terry Hron, who's in Montreal, and she's coming out to Vancouver for the show on Friday the 12th. Um, 
they invited me to participate in one of their shows. That's how I remember it anyway. Yeah, me and Terry had really hit it off as uh, two people from totally different disciplines. Terry is a uh, experimental recorderist. Like if you think of that little recorder you played in grade three or whatever, she is like the absolute master of the recorder. <laughs> and she's got recorders of all different sizes and shapes and different tones and sounds. And she really plays them in, in some of the most unique ways possible. Um, so we really hit it off. Like it was really thrilling to to play with an instrumentalist like that. And um, yeah, when Michael came in, you know, he's just such a, I think just a fun guy to be around, but also an amazing artist. And so we just have, you know, collaborations just have this kind of synergistic kind of quality to it. And um, so we started with a few uh, events at BAMP Center that it was initially called Face Melt uh, upon the recommendation of uh, our friend Jeff Shoesmith, who was uh, coordinating the program back then. Uh, and it's just sort of uh, evolved into several performances and we sort of, the name sort of morphed, the meaning sort of morphed and we're still kind of, it's still just this growing thing and we don't know quite what it's becoming, but uh, we're definitely looking forward to doing it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let me double back on uh, on that, Sam, when you were talking about how um, this is still kind of like uh, something that's progressing and evolving and working. Um, what are the ways in which you've seen Space Melt uh, grow most significantly past the, in the past seven years? And especially thinking forward to uh, the seventh anniversary, looking back, um, how has Space Melt grown? Well, I think it's, it's really, um, it has to do with every event sort of being unique. And I think the collaborative aspect is what's really developed the most and has really brought the most fruits, I think. Like we've really sort of developed a, a, a mandate about always using new venues, using new people, and keeping just uh, these sort of cross-pollinations of different artists from different backgrounds. Uh, that's been sort of the most rewarding thing, and I think uh, the direction we want to go in is, is bringing as many different kinds of people from different backgrounds, creatively, culturally, and uh, just seeing what we can do with them in this totally uh, pretense-free artistic context Mm -hmm. yeah if I could jump on on that it's I think what is really cool about sort of what we've done and Sam and I talk a lot about it is that you know there's certain things people have in mind when they think of experimental music or experimental art performances and generally those can be real durational pieces that uh that have their place and I've I've I'm a fan but uh we we're trying to do something that kind of maybe flips those things on their head a little bit and it's maybe a lot more entertaining and um, open and inclusive to the general public uh, that that is something that especially the general public's never seen and that, that moves quicker and has every show we have had recently for instance we have a timer kind of counting down and so there's people when they're in the audience know that this is not going to go on for 25 more minutes of somebody just strumming a guitar one chord at a time there's something happening with you know another musician might jump in or another artist gets up and starts doing something and um and so it's really like kind of an explosion of creativity that just happens spontaneously in a room right and i'm glad you brought that up because i do think that there's this perception of experimental art um, that can be at times negative, um, thinking it's quite out there, not something that many people can relate to. Um, in your guys' experience hosting Space Melt, have you found that um, a lot of people, what kind of feedback have you guys gotten from um, the general public? <laughs> well, I think 
the one thing that really stuck out in my mind when we really kind of crossed that threshold is we did a show at the University of Calgary as part of a, an experimental music festival there, I don't know, maybe four years ago. And we were at the very end of this long bill of people, and there were a lot of very, I mean, honestly, some of it was really tedious stuff. <laughs> and it went on for hours. <laughs> and then we came in and we did like a 10-minute set right at the end, and it just blew people away because they'd never, there was all this visual stuff happening. They, I mean, Sam and Terry, the music they do is incredible. I mean, it's, it's so far out. And, uh, and we got a standing ovation because people had just been, you know, sitting there for so long just watching all this stuff. And then, boom, it was just blew their minds. Mm. Did you have anything to add, Sam? Oh, I just think, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the idea is that there's, there's nothing wrong with a little fun at the same time. You know, like, let's, let's, let's <laughs> I want to have a good time. Let's all just have a good time together right now. Yeah. Tell me about some of the notable artists that you guys have collaborated with and are very excited to collaborate with this time around. Well, we are super excited to collaborate for this upcoming show next Friday at Renegade Studios, Main and Second, in kind of near the science world in Vancouver, Mount Pleasant area, um, with Mind of a Snail, which is... Um, they're, they're actually way more well-known than we are, and they've won, like, the fringe festivals all across Canada. They do this um, overhead projector shadow puppet theaters, and, I mean, it's really amazing. Just Google Mind of a Snail right now and watch a whole bunch of videos. It'll blow your mind, and, you'll, and when you think of them collaborating with us, it just it adds something, a whole new dimension of kind of really unique visual aspects to all this really cool music that we'll be seeing. Mm -hmm. But Sam can speak to the musicians who are, we've got a really cool lineup of people to we, see too. Yeah, Mind of a Snail, they're sort of the big collaborator uh, for this one. Uh, so yeah, check them out. Check them out at the show for sure. As far as the musicians, like we've got an awesome group of um, sort of uh, amazing locals. Giorgio Magnanensi is a sort of the head of the Vancouver New Music Society, as well as a lot of other um, sort of electronic music-based groups in town. And uh, he's going to be with us. Very excited. He was one of my first improvisation teachers back when I was at UBC. Um, and uh, we've got Ben Brown, who is a fantastic local drummer who's just been uh, studying with Evelyn Glennie in the UK. And uh, he runs the music and movement sessions in Vancouver, which is a sort of an open... Uh, dance and music improv uh, uh, thing going on in town, which everyone should check out as well. Um, and Camille Hiskef uh, is a wicked vocalist, a singer, and uh, her and Terry are actually uh, working on a collaborative uh, compositional project right now. So there might be some of that uh, sneaking into the performance. Um, and who else is there? Oh, and my and my old friend Micaiah Sturgis, uh, UBC graduate as well. Uh, we have not played a gig together in like 10 years, but we played a gig for the Push Fest last week with the Queer Songbook Orchestra, and now we're going to do Space Melt, so it's like this awesome reunion for me and him. He's a fabulous French hornist. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, I guess to end off this interview then, can you guys remind our listeners how they can find out more about Space Melt and uh, also possibly about uh, how to get tickets? Yeah, so you can go to spacemelt.ca, and there's uh, links to the, the, the Facebook page and to the Facebook events page, and from there you can get tickets. You can also look up uh, brownpapertickets.com, and there's if you look up Space Melt 2016, 
Tickets right now are $8 in advance, which is an amazing, super cheap deal at $12 at the door. And we'd love to sell the show out before, beforehand. Um, and it's a super intimate, tiny space. So there's only, uh, I think, 60 tickets on sale, and we've already sold about 30. So, And that doesn't. <laughs> none of our friends have really bought the tickets yeah, yet. Yeah, so, so if you want to come get your ticket for $8. <laughs> it's going to be crazy, yeah. Yeah. We're super excited. And since we are broadcasting from a student campus, any final words for students that might be listening in on this about Space Milk? Wow, that's a great question. I think um, if I was a student, this would be something that would really kind of expand my horizons. I think as a visual artist myself, when I was in school, when I, even before when I was thinking about going to art school, I had a very kind of preconceived idea of what art was. It was just paintings on a wall. And then I started seeing some performance art when I was in school, and it just totally blew my mind. Originally, I wanted to be an illustrator, and I saw this stuff, and then I became an artist. And so maybe there's some uh, students here, whether they're in, already in art or maybe they're in medicine or law, and they come and see this show, who knows what direction they'll go in afterwards and be inspired to create their own kind of event like this. Oh, yeah. I mean, student or not a student, you've got to come see this. Like, it's totally awesome. I mean, especially if you're if you're at the UBC School of Music, a little shout out there. Like, come on out and see some awesome uh, instruments being played. Uh, you got to see the recorder. You just you got to see the stuff. <laughs> yeah. The recorder. Well, thank you very much, Michael and Sam, for being on our show today. Um, everybody, please do uh, check out Space Melt, uh, an experimental art and music collective that will be cele celebrating its seventh anniversary next Friday, February 12th at Renegade Productions. Um, we are going to have a very quick commercial break, and we are going to be right back with uh, another guest, Howard Blank, president of the Variety Board of Directors. So stay tuned. My name is Christine Kim, and you are listening to the Arts Report at CITR 101.9 FM. Tune into Post Rock Friday from 10 to 11 with your host, John P., for the best in post rock, drone, ambient, experimental, and noise. It could be global, trance, spoken word, rock, the usual and the weird, or it could be something different. Oral Tentacles, Thursdays, 12 to 6 a.m. at CITR 101.9 FM. This is my life. I I wake up in the morning, I eat, I sleep, I shit. Breakfast with the Browns. Or whatever it is, but I never shut it off for five minutes. I can't wait to impress my friends with my astounding knowledge of cool. Join your favorite Brownsters and tune in and listen to the best selection of down-tempo electro-pop lounge core. Strictly Squaresville. Remember. Subtle. Basic. Brown. Breakfast with the Browns. On CITR 101.9 FM. Every Monday morning. Uh, from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. The older I get, the more life starts to make sense, and the less I care. Now 
Welcome back to C- to the Arts Report at CITR 101.9 FM. As promised, our next guest is going to be Howard Blank, the president of Variety Board Directors, who is here to talk about the upcoming celebration of the 50th Variety Telethon on Global TV, February 13th and 14th. The telethon will be showing clips of Previous performers, uh, Michael Bublé, David Foster, Ray Charles, all very famous people who have performed in the past um, at, the tele- at the telethon and uh, will also be featuring live cut-ins to uh, entertainments taking place right in Vancouver at the Centre on 777 Homer Street. Uh, Howard, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Good day, Christine. <laughs> Thank you very much for being on our show today. How are you doing? Good, good. My pleasure to be uh, talking to uh, a fellow uh, uh, former student at UBC. Or I'm the former, you're the current, right? <laughs> that is correct. Um, you were a student at UBC. What, 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 what did you major in? Marketing. Oh, I see. Can you give us a little bit more background on what the telethon is all about and uh, how you got involved with it? Well, I, I got involved with the telethon in 1977 when I was uh, about you know, 11, 12 years old, and uh, my father was a professor at UBC, and one of his students was Hildy Barnett, and the current president of Variety at the time was Jeffrey Barnett. My dad knew that I loved show business and entertainment, and he spoke to Hildy and said, hey, can you get my son a volunteer job on the telethon? And and I was hooked. I, I did that telethon and many, many more, and now I'm proud, you know, fast forward uh, 30-some-odd years later, and I'm I'm so honored to be president of Variety, the children's uh, uh, charity of BC, and uh, it's really exciting. And this telethon being the 50th is is very special, uh, uh, not only to all of us that volunteer and work with Variety, but to the people of BC and, and the children with special needs who we've helped all these years. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about children's charity? Um, how does the telethon actually help this charity? Well, the telethon is our really big outreach. I mean, we do a number of events throughout the year, and there's a phenomenal team of people uh, at Variety who put on everything from, you know, our Boat to Hope to uh, special gold plate dinners and radiothons that take place around the province. But the telethon is really our signature event. It's one of the longest-running telethons in the world, and it's been on the same channel, which is Global, which used to be BCTV many years ago, or Chan even before that. So for 50 consecutive years... This telethon has aired, and what it does is it gives us roughly 23 hours to wow the province, to uh, give our message, which is we're there when healthcare ends, and there's a number of things that people assume that families can have, such as wheelchairs or other equipment that are just given to them, and they're not. Uh, uh, obviously, um, the wonderful work in the hospitals and and uh, physiotherapy and that uh, is often able to be uh, given to children, but when it comes to equipment or special programs or just funding for families to come when they have emergencies with their children in hospital, that's where we step in. And the telethon allows us to go back to our roots. Variety is all about the entertainment industry, uh, and it gives a chance for all of us to be able to give back um, through 
donating to the telethon, but also seeing a lot of fun. And being 50 years, as you sort of talked to at the beginning, there's going to be so many special surprises and memories and really a who's who of famous people have graced the stage uh, for the Variety Telethon over these 50 years here in BC. Can you remind our listeners of the notable guests that will be featured on this year's telethon that perhaps wasn't featured on previous telethons? Sure. What's great about this year is when the variety, you know, when I was a kid, we were at the Queen Elizabeth Theater and you could come down, grab your sleeping bag and literally you plop down there and you watch the show. And it was a really a cool thing. And kids would raise money and their parents would come. And it was a wonderful uh, opportunity over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, variety, you know, adapted and changed. And there was a lot more of showing, you know, social media and interesting concerts and things that you couldn't get to see in BC. And we also noticed, though, with the advent of internet and people being able to Google any artist, that people might have seen some of those shows already and might not be as keen to watch what we're presenting. So we're going back to our roots in a special way this year. The people at the Centre have graciously given us uh, their venue to hold two special um, events that are live to coincide with our telethon that's broadcast live at the Hard Rock Casino in Coquitlam. The first is Saturday night. There is a phenomenal event uh, hosted by Aaron Sebula from Entertainment Tonight Canada. And the artists there are 5440, Charlie, Aaron Pritchett, Five Alarm Funk, and so many other stars and surprises. And at that event, we're going to be cutting live from our, our uh, broadcast studio set up at the Hard Rock to that event. So people will be able to watch on TV these great artists performing live for Variety. We're also going to intertwine a number of artists from the past who've come and performed and showing where are they then. Many children and families who we've helped, they're all grown up now and they want to give back and talk about what's happened with them. And it's really exciting. We're also having... All the global personalities will be live with us uh, through the 23 hours, but also some other real excited people like names from the past, such as Blake Emmons, who, who was known. Bob McGrath from Sesame Street, who's been with us every single telethon, is coming back for the special 50th. And then on Sunday, Jim Burns and his all-star band are going to be performing with um, Colleen uh, Renison, Sherry Ulrich, um, of course, we've got the Vancouver Theatre Sports League and Sarah McLaughlin on Saturday night, Barney Bentall, uh, Dustin Bentall, and Chilliwack. The boys from Chilliwack are coming out. So both of those shows, one is Saturday night and the doors open at 6, and then Sunday I think the doors open at 1 or 2, and the public are welcome to come on down, you know, give donations and be a part of this special event. And uh, you can watch on TV as well, or you can be part of the of the live experience at the centre. And, of course, also we have thousands of volunteers who come to the Hard Rock to help answer phones and be a part of our live vet, a venue there as well. That is quite the list, and there's quite a lot going on with the live show at Homer Street and then the uh, Hard Rock and uh, just being able to watch on TV too. For yourself, what are you most looking forward to with the 50th uh, Telethon? Who are you most looking forward to see perform? Well, when I was working in the film industry, I was one of the people that helped bring in... Um, Johnny Depp and Deborah Harry and the gang from 21 Jump Street. And uh, I think there's going to be a big special surprise with, with someone who we've had in the past coming back to say hello. So I'm really excited about that. And also getting a chance to reconnect with so many people that have given their time, their talent, or their treasure for variety over these 50 years. It's truly a huge milestone to be able to be 
not only a charity working for 50 years straight in the province, but also having this telethon for so many years, uh, it's, you know, really special. We couldn't do it without the help of, you know, Global British Columbia, a great Canadian gaming corporation, Pro Show, and White Spot. I mean, we have to feed everybody, and the wonderful folks at White Spot come through. The toy goes are always there for us. So it really takes a village for us to do this telethon. There's a committee of hundreds of people who volunteer their time and fellow board members and crew from Variety. So it's just an opportunity for all of us to raise a lot of money in a short period of time, thank those who we, who we uh, solicit money from, but also highlight the wonderful life-changing things that Variety does. Really, we go under the radar every year because we don't have a physical building or a plant, so to speak, that you would think of when you point to, oh, okay, I know where Variety helps me, but this is our chance to be able to showcase all those people we've helped and, and show how important we are. Like we say, uh, we're there when uh, healthcare ends. Right. Can you remind our listeners who are listening in right now um, exactly when to tune in and on what channel? Yes, well, it's on Global um, BCTV, which is uh, cable channel 11, or if you've got high def, it's 211. And I think it might be a different channel on, on if you have TELUS. But um, the other thing that's so important is... Uh, whether you're a student or whether a former student like me or, or someone um, that you know, loves the wonderful program you guys do on CITR, this is a great opportunity to sort of watch some of our highlights uh, that, that are going to take place. We start just at the end of the news hour on Saturday night at about 6.55, and you're going to want to see the opening because it is a spectacular opening. We've never had anything this fantastic. I can just say it's a cast of hundreds that was shot at BC Place Stadium with just one of the coolest openings ever. And then we go right in with, uh, you know, um, the stars of Global TV and the number of special guests. And throughout our 23 hours, there are going to be some phenomenal things happening. And uh, just stick it to uh, Global TV or, of course, we're live streamed as well. And we're variety.bc.ca if you want to find out more information. And also, we'd love to have you out at the center. You know, we're asking for donations as you come in. So it'll be a great opportunity, you know, give from your heart and have a once and a lifetime experience of some phenomenal entertainment on Saturday and Sunday. Right. Thank you so much, Howard, for uh, that description. And I'm sure uh, without a doubt that there will be a great turnout for the event, seeing as uh, how many cool things you guys have already ha- uh, got lined up for the 50th anniversary. Um, yes, and hopefully uh, we can have you back to kind of do a debrief on uh, how the event on how the event went and uh, the amount of money I guess you guys ra- raised as well. Absolutely, Christine. I want to thank you and and all the listeners of CITR, which is one of the great student-run. Uh, mediums out there that uh, to please uh, think of us um, in a week and a half from now, the 13th and 14th during the Valentine's weekend and think of the children of BC and those with special needs and how variety is there for them and thank you for being with us and we look forward to putting on a great show and hopefully we'll talk to you after. Yeah, thank you so much. Goodbye. Thanks. Arts reporters, we will be right back uh, after a few short commercial breaks. We've got a review of Songs of the Wasteland by uh, two new arts reporters in the studio. Um, So do stay tuned. My name is Christine Kim, and you are listening to The Arts Report at CITR 101.9 FM. (laughs) 
Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. This is it, what you've been waiting for. After months of intense competition, great tunes, and epic shows, it all comes down to one last night. Late Spring versus Walgren versus the Psychic Alliance. It's the showdown for it all. It's the Shindig 2015 final. Our three semi-winners will compete on Friday, February 5th for the title of Shindig Champion and for the grand prize, including recording time, festival appearances, Discorder and CITR features, merch, showcases, and more. So come out to Pat's Pub and Brew House at 403 East Hastings for one last night of Shindig epicness. Enjoy some pool, locally made beer, and three great bands. Luna Patrol. Cover is $6 at the door and the show is 19 plus. Check out CITR on Facebook or on Twitter at CITR Shindig for all the details. Every second Wednesday of the month from 6 to 9 is Women in Career Night at the Bike Kitchen. Bring your bike and give it some love in this safe and positive space for anyone who identifies as female or queer. Come learn how to fix your own bike with the help of a female or queer-identified mechanic and volunteers. Plus, there's free pizza. Visit bikecoop.ca for more information. AMS Food Bank. Your access to money during your studies at UBC will most likely be limited, but it is a priority of the AMS Food Bank to ensure your access to food is not. The AMS Food Bank provides emergency food relief seven days a week for all UBC students to volunteer with the food bank or for inquiries about how to take advantage of the services provided. Contact them at foodbank at ams.ubc.ca. For more information, find the AMS Food Bank on Facebook or feel free to visit anytime across from the Wellness Center and Sprouts. Hello, welcome back to the Arts Report. A special announcement for you guys about today's show is that we are actually going to be broadcasting to you um, not just until 6 p.m. today, but actually till 6.30. So you have another full half hour of Christine, arts reporters, more arts and culture guests, and uh, Jake Clark, actually, who will be coming into this to the studio. Um, so speaking of arts reporters, we have the lovely Paula and Cassandra on our show today. Welcome. Hi, um, I'm Cassandra Rogers. I'm Paula Stiegler. <laughs> and what are you guys here to talk about today? Well, um, last Wednesday night, we, Cassandra and I, attended the Songs of the Wasteland at the Vancouver Academy of Music for the Arts Report. Um, Rania Perel composed 13 songs out of remembrance for the individuals and groups of people that suffered under the crimes of the Nazi regime. The song cycle was completed in 2005 and premiered in 2010. The Songs of the Wasteland returned again this year for its second performance in honor of January 27th International Day of Commemorations in memory of the victims of the Holocaust. 
Renia Perel was born in Poland in 1929 after the Nazi occupation in 1941. She and her sister fled at the ages of 12 and 14, living within Europe under false Ukrainian identities. The two girls endured years of forced labor until traveling to Canada through a refu refugee program in 1948. After settling in Vancouver, Rania Perel graduated from high school and began to study at UBC. She later became a teacher. Perel began composing the drama after her husband's death in 1999. The musical drama is thematically divided into two parts. Part one, titled From Tragedy to Triumph, is comprised of nine songs dedicated to the mourning of the six million Jews whose lives were taken in the Holocaust. The lyrics speak of the children who were murdered in the concentration camps and the many mothers and their unborn children. We're going to play a little part of um, a song called Wasteland. This first part also reveals Perel's personal relation to her work through a song dedicated to remembering her family members that didn't survive this genocide. Titled Survival, part two consists of four songs, beginning with Song of Life that honors Perel's late husband. We're gonna play a little piece of that one as well. Following our dedications to the Japanese consul who rescued over 6,000 Jews during World War II and the people of Bulgaria for its protectionist attitude towards Jews, the final piece concludes the, the intention of her work, spreading the hope for peace on earth. The performing ensemble is formed of seven musicians, Joseph Elworthy playing the cello, Lanny Krantz on harp, Mark Ferris on violin, Francois Houle on clarinet, and Kozu Matsumoto joining on the kodo. We are happy to welcome the performance's featured baritone vocalist, Mark Fenster, to our studio today. Mark was joined on stage by soprano Robin drieger Clausen to complete this group. Now, Mark, you are a self-taught musician. How did this journey unfold? The journey of Wasteland, you mean? No, um, coming into uh, learning, <laughs> learning the art of music. Um, uh, music has been head? in my blood, in my heart, uh, all my life. Uh, I remember seeing a, a little video, a little family video that my mother took of me standing on a beach with a plastic Beatles guitar singing, She Loves You, Yeah, 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 and telling her I was going to be a star <laughs> one day. 
And here I am on CITR, see? It just all <laughs> happened, as she said. Uh, how, when doing this uh, piece, the Songs of the Wasteland, um, what responsibility did you feel in sharing this, this particular message? I was really um, I was really touched and moved when I got the phone call in 2010 um, to uh, to sing the baritone, and um, the thing that uh, struck me was the whole idea that Renia had of sharing her journey uh, in a very peaceful and loving way and honest, um, which was at times very difficult for her, surely, uh, and also for all of us performing it. Um, and at the same time, uh, I found out when I met Renia that she grew up in a part of Poland um, very close to where my dad grew up. And although their paths were quite different, uh, they were both survivors. They both visited camps and uh, um, had experienced uh, the um, horrid experiences that were at that time. Um, the The possibility of singing these songs and helping people to understand that it really isn't about uh, a specific nation of people versus another nation of people. It's just about our, our potential as humans in both extremes um, and to be able to understand that, yes, this did happen. It's still happening to various other peoples, and uh, it's a matter of welcoming and loving one another as it, you know just different aspects of life, of nature. And this story is a really good way to do that. I understand that in the first piece, um, there's a lot of pressure to really hold that, that stage, to, to really set the tone. Um, musically, uh, Renia and Larry Nichol j did an exquisite job of presenting the music. Uh, Renia was the composer, is the composer. Uh, Larry Nichol uh, did the arrangements, and, and they're just absolutely brilliant to have a solo violin go on for uh, I'm not sure how many bars but it's it's quite a bit of time and it really does set a beautiful beautiful loving and at the same time fearful and a tone of concern and the very first piece is Psalm 23 verse 4 um, uh, though I walk in the sh in the valley in the shadow of death uh, I shall fear no evil and really the the intention of that psalm is um, what many people, uh, I think specifically the Jews, were feeling, which was, it's going to be okay. Um, we're hearing about these horrible things, but our God will take care of us. And um, so it was my job to set that tone of trust, even though uh, I'm singing to uh, a full room of, of audience members knowing what's about to unfold. Um, it... it uh, it was what people felt at the time. They they were in disbelief, and you know these horrible things can't be allowed to happen for long. Um, well, um, it's hard. I know. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It's it's a truth. It's part of humanity, and. The thing that saddens me, I mean, y you were both there and, and you saw me in tears on stage. Um, I'm named after a grandfather I never met. 
um, and he was one of the what Renia refers to as as uh, um, the uh, martyrs for Hashem for God. Um, and yet, what saddens me mostly, to be really open and honest with you all, is that this is still happening today. It's happening to Muslims. It's happening to Asians. It's happening to Jews still. It's happening to Christians. It's happening. We're doing it to each other. And we, we don't need to. We don't need to be afraid. We're all full of love. And the last piece, Jerusalem, talks about... Um, the return to the light, the return to peace, and that it is within us. We can do it, and we've seen it. We've seen Mother Teresa, we've seen Gandhi, we've seen countless peoples, people just being incredibly brilliant with our hearts. Yeah, talking of religious um, emotions, how did you prepare for um, this one particular song where you performed um, a prayer Uh, you're talking about the yellow star? Yes. Where um, what Renia did was she, um, she created a musical piece that's based on uh, a Jewish honor, which is called an aliyah, where during Torah service, where the, uh, the Old Testament, the scrolls are brought out. Um, and it's, uh, you're being called to read from the Torah. And it's, it's a high honor. Um, and what she did was she talked about the honor, the aliyah that was given to the yellow star, that piece of fabric that was required uh, dress for, for Jews so that they stood out and how this yellow star was called to heaven as an, in the form of an aliyah um, and how uh, God would receive it. Um, in a in a loving and 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 in a loving embrace, and, you know uh, I'm I'm going to take the martyrs, and and take care of them, um, and I have to tell you I, I have to admit I'm personally I'm not religious I I believe I'm very a very much a believer in in uh, spirituality and spirit I believe there's more than just the physicality of the world of the universe. Um, but in terms of adherence to any specific religion, uh, I don't know that any of them are really saying anything different than any of the others. We're all connected. We're all one. Do you guys mind if I ask a quick question as well? You can ask um, a long question if you like. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just really curious, when you're talking about religion, how, to what extent do you find that uh, sometimes music can be a form of therapeutic religion for people who are listening? And in your experience, do you find that uh, the healing impact of songs such as The Wasteland um, have that kind of effect? Um, yeah. It has a tremendously profound and beautiful healing effect for everybody, for the audience members who are listening, for the composers and arrangers, for the performers. Um, Music, uh, I actually have a degree in psychology, and all the years that I studied, uh, we were only able to establish uh, 10% of the brain, and the other 90% was considered we're not using it. It's just we don't know what it does, so it's not being used. And yet, when they did further studies, they found out that when you listen to music, when you write music, when you're involved in music, it's the only time your whole brain is actually involved. So... I think that says a lot. Music 
evokes emotion. All you have to do is watch a movie, turn off the sound, see how different the experience is. Um, in terms of uh, how this particular music offers healing uh, in a spiritual sense, um, you know, almost every religion that I've ever been exposed to uses music. And uh, I remember there's a, a famous rabbi named uh, Shlomo Karlebach who was uh, quoted as saying, "When whenever you sing a prayer, it's like praying twice." <laughs> and you know, the, the when you when you sit in a church and you sing those psalms and everyone sings together, it's so powerful that moves people. It moves your heart. It opens you. And I think that's what this does. And at times, it's it's hard to hear what you're being open to, and then yet. It did happen, and there is a reason to tell the story so that maybe some of the listeners here today at CITR can say, you know what, maybe we don't have to repeat this part of history anymore. Right, <laughs> right, and really thank you to both Paula and Cassandra as well as you for being on our show to talk about something um, so touching, actually. Impactful. Um, so now I was wondering as we kind of wrap up this interview, um, can you tell us about how listeners can follow up with what they've heard and maybe even find out more? Absolutely. Um, they can go to songsofthewasteland.com. Um, uh, they can also do a Google search of Renia Perel. That's R-E-N-I-A and the last name Perel, P-E-R-E-L. Um, certainly welcome to go to my website and there'll be links there. My website is autumnstudios.ca, autumn like the season, studios, even though it's only one, don't tell anybody. Um, and uh, yeah, there, there are lots of people doing this kind of work and um, I really think that there's a lot more of an audience that's growing and people wanting to learn about how we can understand each other better and uh, replace the fear with uh, compassion. Any final words from uh, our hearts reporters, Cassandra and Paula? I, I did want to kind of step back for a second to ask um, if you would kind of give insight into how indulging in this topic is therapeutic for yourself personally. <laughs> um, hugely. Uh, because this offers an opportunity to talk about the feelings that are there. Um, there's all this new scientific research uncovering that uh, trauma from previous generations is actually passed through into newer generations via DNA. So I know I feel the trauma, I feel the pain, I feel the fear, I feel uh, a lot of what my parents and their parents felt. At the same time, I feel the joy and the glee and, and the comfort of the people who saved us. I mean, my mother was, was hidden by a French Catholic family in the south of France. My father was saved by a German SS Nazi officer. So, you know, it's, it's about what we're capable of. Mm -hmm. This gives me an opportunity to um, express the feelings I have that I may not even be aware of. And then I start singing it and I can't sing because the tears come. And then, oh, okay, there's a sign. Um, and also just the ability to get to that 13th song, Jerusalem, and talk about how there is hope. We're, we're going to be okay. We just need to look at the differences and say, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Rather than, oh, that's different. That's scary. Because it isn't. It's cool. Math is scary. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you, all three of you. Thank you so much uh, for this lovely interview. And listeners, please do stay tuned because we've got more contributions from amazing arts reporters and as well as an interview uh, by our very own Ashley Park uh, about a push, uh, push festival contributor. So do stay tuned. Again, uh, today's show is going to be a half hour longer, um, so even more good things to come. Um, I'm going to be playing a couple commercials, and we'll be right back. You are listening to The Arts Report at CITR 101.9 FM. Need to talk? AMS Speakeasy offers free, one-on-one, confidential, drop-in peer support sessions with trained volunteers. Our goal is to lend a listening ear and empower you to continue to strive towards wellness. Our services are available Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. and 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. during exam season. Support sessions can be requested at our desk on the main floor of the nest or by ringing the doorbell outside our private space in room 3121. Learn more by visiting the AMS Speakeasy website. No issue is too big or too small. We're here to listen.
Welcome back to the Arts Reporter, Arts Report listeners. Um, that was a special commercial break because I actually played um, a little bit of a song called Body by Cousins. Um, if you would like more information on the band, please do check us out on Facebook. Um, we are the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM or on Twitter at CITR underscore Arts Report. That was a shameless plug to check out our social media avenues and uh, reach out to us if ever you have any questions about um, something that you heard on the show or any suggestions about shows that we should cover in the future. Uh, do reach out to us. Today, we have a arts reporter on our uh, in our midst who's actually also a very... Um, very involved person at CITR radio station in general. Brenda, please introduce yourself. Thanks for having me on the show, Christine. Uh, my name is Brenda. I'm the station manager at CITR. Fantastic. And Brenda, what are you here to talk to us about today? Last week, I went to a show as part of the Push Festival, and it was called Leftovers by Charles Demers. And you probably heard an interview I did with him, and I wanted to tell you a bit about the show. What did you think of the show? It was great. Uh, it was the first time I'd been to the York Theater, and there was a, a very happy, engaged East Van crowd there, just ready to laugh at all of his anti-capitalist jokes. It was definitely a very personal show. Uh, he talked a lot about how his political ideology sprung from the way he was raised and the values of his mother and the political landscape at the time. So it was very much, he's very intellectual and very knowledgeable, but a lot of it was really rooted in his, his personal experience. Hmm. And what was, can you go into a little bit more depth about what his personal experiences were? If it's not too... Uh, on the DL? <laughs> oh, not at all. He talked about his mother... Um, his mother being raised in a family where his, his grandmother had just married a lawyer, a young lawyer, and they had four kids and they were just building their brand new house and she was expecting to be, you know, the wife of a lawyer and having, uh, having her husband unexpectedly die and being responsible for raising four young children as a single mom and how they wouldn't have survived without social assistance and during his mother's life was when she sort of became an adult and became uh, uh, started to live her own life was when universal health care first started in Canada and a lot of the social programs that were uh, put together uh, were launched then and he talked about the the overriding optimism of people at that time and how uh, how people just assumed that society would take care of each other and that the common person would would be uh, that everyone's lives was were going to get better and that wealth would be redistributed and society would become more equal. And so some of his reflections were talking about how he was never raised in that situation and he didn't have that same idealism and that idealism seems to be lost today in society and how there is a greater divide between richer and richer rich and poor and he talked a lot about the the neoliberalist policies that have shifted mm. yeah so it was fairly political and fairly intellectual but he did lots of sort of theater and pantomime uh he had there's a couple dance numbers in there uh not highly developed but uh and lots and lots of jokes and definitely like pictures and lighting so it's it was a very engaging show 
How difficult was it to follow along? Oh, very, very easy. He's an excellent communicator, and he uh, definitely incorporates pieces of his stand-up, so he's very engaging, and, and people are just laughing all the time. Awesome. Um, tell, tell me a little bit more about how you also got to see the show, but then also got to meet him and interview him. Um, did you find that uh, aspects of your interview really um, gave you a lot more depth when you were watching the show? Definitely. I think I I had a bit more of the context of where he was coming from, so I could watch it unfold and see uh, see how the people in the audience were reacting to that material for the first time. Uh, he's also a very smart guy, so it was uh, I heard in the interview a lot about the the intellectual and his perspective on that um, in a sort of a non-funny way and then got to see the show in a way that was very much punctuated by humor. Tell me about the humor. What kind of humor was it? Oh, all sorts. Anything from him dancing to uh, to Tina Turner to um, at the very beginning, this uh, communist anthem came on and he sort of paraded around with a flag for a while. Uh, he definitely threw in some stand-up jokes and um, took some shots at Justin Trudeau. Yeah, very fun. Fantastic. Well, is this the kind of show that you're normally into, Brenda? Uh, I would like to go to comedy more. I think it makes people laughing, makes people relaxed, and it's a, it's a good stress release. Um, it's also... I find a very effective way. I think we all get um, depressed by angry activists, but it's all it's very important for us to stay engaged with ways to make society better. And it's easy to get uh, apathetic and depressed and, and feel like you can't make a difference. So I think humor is a very effective way of of talking about those subjects in a way where we don't get dragged down. Awesome. Well, any other comments about uh, your time watching Leftovers? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, it would be the show may happen again, and I'd highly encourage people to see it. If not, uh, Charles Demers is on the debaters regularly, and also has a couple books. So there's lots of opportunities to, to hear his humor and experience his stand up, which is definitely a positive experience. And I think Push is going on for the next couple of weeks. And Push, uh, I always find is very uh, interesting and engaging and different and does sort of push push your mind and push artistic discipline. So it's definitely worth checking out the rest of their shows. Will you be going to attend any other Push Festival shows? I hope so. But yeah, I'm uh, definitely getting ready for Fun Drive right now. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Right. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Brenda, for being on the show. And for any of our listeners who would like to hear the Charles Dimmer interview that uh, Brenda had, you can find it on our Mixcloud account as well as our Facebook. And again, uh, our Facebook our Facebook name, how you can find us, is by typing in the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, we are going to have another quick commercial break but i do promise it'll be quick and we will have um another arts reporter on the show jake clark who will be talking about uh one of the events that he's he saw this past week um as well as giving us a little bit of an update on um other cool things going on uh this upcoming week uh, so do stay tuned and uh we'll be right back <laughs> I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now!, daily grassroots, global, unembedded, international, independent news hour. And this is CITR 101.9 FM. 
Hey, this is Ben from Greymaker. You are listening to CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, BC, Canada. Welcome back. As promised, that was a very quick commercial break it because was. we have two amazing, two old-time arts reporters and old time. hosts and people you That's already awesome. know, um, Ashley Park as well as Jake Clark. Hello, everybody. That rhymes. Howdy. So, Jake, tell us about Naked Cinema. Well, it's not what you expect. Um, is I, it called I, Naked? Is it, this is the second one, right? This is the second one, yes. It's, it's called Naked Cinema because it follows the rules of what's called Dogma 95, the, uh, the artistic movement coined by uh, a bunch of some Danes in the 90s, uh, Lars von Trier, uh, somebody who isn't as contemptible, but I don't remember their name. Um, I hate Lars von Trier more than many living uh, human beings, but uh-huh. uh, it's 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 very it's pr- the best application of dogma I've seen in my life. Is uh, I'm 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 not gonna not gonna lie about that. It's a very enjoyable film. I didn't get get off to a very good start there, but mm-hmm. the Naked Cinema is made by UBC acting and directing students. It juggles stories and it's called Love Approximately. It's an ensemble film. And uh, there was a Q&A afterwards with Tom Schultz and uh, one of the student uh, directors. Yep. And Tom Schultz is, a, is, an acting pro- is an acting prof, and he produced the movie. He's also a collaborator of, uh, of Bruce Sweeney, who's an Ontarian director mm-hmm. who, uh, who lives, in, uh, lives in Vancouver and whose style uh, very much informed the movie, apparently. Now, the, uh, the basic thrust of the movie is that there are these interconnected stories. Like, you know, love, it's the same, like, like same a, principle like, as like love, love, actually, actually yeah. right? <laughs> And they mention Love Actually at one point because okay. there's this one pretentious artist character who takes um, uh, one, another character out on a date and they see – they never mention the name but there's like he's – when they, he comes in, he's giving a rant on how the airport scene, the uh-huh. kid on security is white privilege. Okay. And uh, it was it was it was it was an interesting. It had a funny moments. It had some pretty gut punching, dramatic moments as well. It was very well acted. Mm-hmm. There were lots of wonders. The editing was uh, very complimentary uh, to these great performances. And uh, the student director, uh, towards the end, uh, she said that she was very grateful that the um, the performances were not cut up because they were very good as a gestalt. And that mm-hmm. that, that that's a good thing. I find. That's uh, that's the that's what dogma is intended to invoke. I uh, I, I and uh, which scenes did you particularly enjoy in the movie? Well, there were some very interesting ones about uh, about there was manipulation, as All I right. believe one of them, uh, and another one was the fact that uh, that what they meant to do against Love Actually was because Love Actually, according to Shelton, and if you what what check the DVD, this box, this is true, portrays all the stories tied up in a bow because it's a Christmas movie, yep. and they literally do get tied up in a bow, sort of well, figuratively, I suppose, but mm-hmm. do get all tied up it's in well this. Well made ending. at the end, like well made play. Sort in of this like, in this case, it, it's it's not really tied up. Like oh. there is a resolution to I'd say all the major plot points, and there's a few of them. <laughs> I don't know if I could do them justice uh, in in summary. But um, uh, that there are there is about eight uh, stories, mm-hmm. and they're they're very touching. They're extremely well acted, uh, and the the uh, they don't so much resolve themselves in the end. Like they, there's no clean resolution. Okay. There is though a clear. It doesn't seem pointless at all, which is one thing um, that some that sometimes ensemble movies do. There's, there's it's all there's a progression. You see the, them grow as people, and that's. Uh, that, that's something very good. It's a very. It was written coll- uh, collaboratively by all uh, all eight actors, mm-hmm. and apparently they each brought in five characters, and they had to. One was selected, and uh, they made it. The last one they made of Naked Cinema was apparently quite a comedy. Like uh, every punchline they could take, they got. Mm-hmm. Uh, here it was more of a dramedy. There were some very definite comic moments, 
uh, some dramatic moments that um, used uh, this comedic edge. It was really some of them are very chilling. And I know I, I'm, I sound nonspecific here, but all of them are so interrelated. It's hard to know where to start with the description. Of course. But uh, the, showing this at the norm was another great thing because um, uh, Schultz uh, afterwards he said that it uh, that uh, the norm. Uh, is is the community movie theater, and it is like if you if you show this a stage show at Freddie Wood, it'd be very different. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the corollary of that is that it's it's this sense of of openness. And it did charge at the door. The Norm membership didn't cover it, and it, it did. Uh, there was a, it was the largest turnout I might have seen at the Norm in a while. Wow, actually. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and uh, we even asked him uh, what's his favorite segment of Love Actually because the character who's railing against Love Actually in the actual yeah. film. He goes, what was your least favorite part of the movie? So afterwards, uh, I asked him, what was, what was your favorite part of the movie? And my, my personal favorite part of the movie is the Bill Nighy part of yeah. Love Actually. You know, kids, don't buy drugs. Become a big pop star. They give them to you for free. Great life advice as well. But the the thing is that uh, he mentioned the, the Bill Nighy part. And, mm-hmm. uh, the, and she mentioned Emma Thompson, who's always tenders a good performance. I can't think of a bad performance that's no exception when she was in the story with the late Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was that was another thing that I got reminded of, was was quite it was quite something to watch. Uh, I highly, if you, they have a they have copies of it for viewing. I, I'm not sure um, how to get them, but if you contact UBC Theater and Film, um, it's 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 very much worth. Your were time. the themes that they showed in were they all romantic love or were there different types of love? Uh, th- it depends on. It's kind of the blur between the two. Okay. Like there is one about how uh, a f- friendship is friendship and then love can be uh intertwined and another one about uh like sort of about sibling loyalty what you owe to uh, to your family to your mm-hmm. siblings specifically and that was uh that was all very well portrayed i uh, i i found and the, the lo-fi aesthetic never undermined that it was never alienating which is one thing that uh lars von trier's dogma films are to an extreme fault uh, um and th- th- there is that to it like there's there's a lot of that and this was shown at the norm as I mentioned, as our uh, and uh, I, I again, I, I, I got to say that the norm as a venue did suit it for this. It did help foster that sense of community because some of the, the people involved, some of the people involved were there. Mm-hmm. Some a- acting students uh, were there. And that was that was it, it, there was a sense of interest in it, which was an excellent thing. And uh, if you can go out, there's going to be one next year. And I know this is a uh, three hundred and sixty odd days in advance but i i highly recommend it it's a, it's a great exercise of community but you know what the next best thing to do is is to go to the norm uh this this week because we got some great shows this week what is it this week well tonight we have the first of the sandwich club uh, nights which is uh various clubs are organizing it in this case it's the women's collective women's shelter mm-hmm. and it's boys don't cry and if these walls can talk Ooh. yeah it's, it's some heavy stuff yeah. but it's um it's definitely there's, it's definitely being shown, and I, I, I it's commendable. Then uh, t- on Thursday, there's uh, this is not a collective night, but it's uh, it's boys in the hood and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can refer that on on your own. And then on Saturday, there is uh, on, on oh sorry Friday sorry I get ahead of myself sometimes. Uh, Friday is Jaws, and I believe Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's Steven Spielberg uh, double feature. Mm-hmm. And on Saturday, there's a very interesting feature: is uh, the late great David Bowie is Labyrinth and the Man Who Fell to Earth. Yeah, I love Labyrinth. I got I gotta love Labyrinth. You mm-hmm. know, like it's 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 a fantastic feature. God damn, Mr. Bowie. But anyway, and then um, on the after and, and uh, on Sunday, there's American Psycho and Slumber Party Massacre. I don't think that brooks <laughs> much explanation, 
But I, I highly recommend uh, going to see any of these any of these films. Uh, say if you know if, if you're uh, the the first and last collection of features. If you're uh, if you're squeamish because they uh, yeah yeah those are those are quite something to uh, to experience. And it's uh, yeah. So there is that that is the uh, the week slow to the norm, and uh, yeah that's that's about the yeah it, it sounds it. like a really good you know stuff if you want to go hang out oh, with yeah. your friends want to catch a movie but you guys don't want to. You know, you watch it on Netflix and watching like a real cool theater. Norn is where where you go. Yeah, the Norn theater. It's, it's your community theater, and it's cheaper than any theater mm-hmm. that you can get. I don't know anybody who can match that price. That's true. And one thing occurs to me: what the is David that? Bowie double feature after Labyrinth is the Man Who Fell to Earth, which is mm-hmm. where David Bowie plays an alien. I know, right? Like it's it's like it was, it was quite a role. It's, it's a very good movie. I highly recommend it. Rip Torn's in it, but uh, mm-hmm. there's also that that happens, but. Uh, it's it's something if you want to remember um, David Bowie's appearances on screen, which are uh, they're there, they're a little uneven at times. Like unlike Dylan and Friends, he can act, which is interesting. But it, that's it's, it's Labyrinth and Man Who Fell to Earth are probably the the most the best arrangement that I can think of for that. A Goblin King and an Alien Millionaire. Yeah, and that's so on Saturday. About the guy, yes, it's on Saturday. Well, what's happening actually right now? If you guys want to know at the Push Festival. Uh, starting actually start, started yesterday and it's until the sixth is uh, Native Earth Performing Arts is a production of Huff. Uh, it is written by and performed by Indigenous playwright and performer Cliff Cardinal. And I actually got to talk to Cliff um, on January twenty eighth about his upcoming show. Really, really cool perspective on the show itself. Huff is what you do with actually gasoline when you're down and out with nothing left to lose you you inhale the fumes and get high and the character wind is one such solvent abuser so i talked to cliff about it got his insights welcome back to the arts report i'm now with cliff cardinal he is a cree indigenous playwright and performer who will be coming to the 2016 vancouver push festival with huff It'll be at the Fire Arts Center, February 2nd to the 6th at 7, 8, and 4 p.m. on various dates. Welcome to the Arts Report. Cliff, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Ashley, how's it going? Correct one thing from your introduction. Oh, yes, go ahead. I'm not a Cree playwright. Oh, excuse me. Like, my lineage comes from Cree people, but I don't speak Cree, Mm -hmm. and... I don't write in Cree, save for a few words, but I'm closer Mm -hmm. to, I guess, indigenous playwright or some people like First Nations, but my favorite is Indian. I'm I'm not a Cree playwright. Oh, no, no. Thank you so much for correcting me. It's a weird one, because most people Mm -hmm. think that the the right thing to do is to respect that that place and and those people, and and for me, it's a little different, because um, my upbringing and my connection to that stuff is just, um, it comes from a slightly different place. No, no. Thank you so much for correcting me. (laughs) It's all good. Now I need to ask, is your show really about solvent abuse? play about First Nations kids who abuse solvents and are at high risk of suicide. What made you kind of decide to write about this play? It was just a really scary subculture. I thought it was Canada's most taboo subculture. Mm-hmm. It just scared me so much that there are kids who live in this really, really complicated life. And so I thought, as audience members and as artists, we have we have the responsibility to go through that story as empathetically as we can. So that's how that exploration really began. 
Was it a story kind of close to your own family, or was it something that you observed from watching other kids growing up in your it's childhood? A, it's a fictional. It's a fictional story. I made it up. You performed this actually two years at Club Push in Vancouver, and there was a lot of actually media attention to it. A lot of people loved the themes. What are you bringing back this year that's a little bit different? Are you working with a new director, and the director is Karen Randosha? Uh, same director. Mm-hmm. It's actually a new design. Mm-hmm. Um, once the independent production had run its course, Native Earth Performing Arts wanted to get involved and see that Karen and I got to continue our work, a, a remount. And it's been just an awesome opportunity to be able to reinvestigate a work and to really take a look and, and, and deepen the performance and, and the writing as we get to go on, uh, have the time to work on it, and give those performances. It's more of what it is. Did you have any like writing influences, or do you have any other works that inspire you to create your own? My my writing influences uh, have been, have always been artists who who look at the underbelly mm-hmm. of society, who write about weirdos, lonely people who have to do strange things in order to feel connection. People who who are in a lot of pain to go into those places with love and to find hope where people are at their lowest. Those are the kinds of artists that that, that inspire me. Um, Hubert Selby Jr. for writers, Chuck Palahniuk, and then comedians like George Carlin and Richard Pryor, people like that, people who go into those dark places and find a way to be hopeful and find humanity and, and love. And you're also solo performer of Huff, and you actually embody a lot of these uh, different characters. Which ones did you have like the most challenge kind of getting into the heads of, and which ones actually came quite naturally to you? There's one uh, named Charles who has FAS. That one's a really complicated exploration all the time. He's got FAS and he's got some some abuse issues. He's mm-hmm. he's abusive, and it's a really it's a really hard groove to get into when people are really doing ugly things. Mm-hmm. But it's still kind of like a I guess an authentic actual voice as to environment that um, some of these kids are living in. Yeah, but because it's also so dark, it's also to really. Um, well, not the most fun. It's the most. The challenge is is, is very rewarding to mm-hmm. to to find. Yeah, let's move. Let's move on to the next question. I think I'm starting to ramble here a bit. No, no, no. That's all right. That's all right. Um, then, were there any other characters that you had naturally attuned to? You're like, okay, I kind of maybe you shared some of their you know past. Well, I try to empathize with all the all the people. I mean, I don't call them characters. Even I call them I call them people. So I mm-hmm. I, I search for those you know things that are in common things that are different but but really it's about uh, empathizing and finding out what they want to do if they can figure out what a character wants to do we can we can get crazy about getting them what they want mm-hmm. it says that your show is even though it's quite bleak it's also quite humorous there's also a bit of lightness to it yeah i mean i when i go see a show i want it to be funny mm-hmm. you know and also the the cool thing about it is that when when you laugh you you open up and you're you know more willing to imagine the darker things it's really fun when it's a full roller coaster of emotion of, of laughter and, and and darkness you know back and forth because the main character has a kind of like a band of brothers and also they're dealing with you know the loss of their mother would you also consider this to be a family drama a family drama i, I uh yeah okay it's a family drama all right but the the main issues that you actually uh, deal with, solving abuse and poverty, violence, uh, 
is that something that, that continues to be a prevalent uh, motif in your works, or is it in Huff that you decided that, you know, I, I got to write about this? I don't think I've done solvent abuse since Huff, but for sure characters are, are always abusing each other, and, and especially themselves, in some, in some manner or another in my work. Your main hero, even, is actually dealing with, you know, ideas of suicide pondering on whether or not his you know, existence, especially in this oppressive society, can you know, become fulfilling. In creating that such of a start to the narrative, outside the issue of a suicide that you wanted to touch upon, Wait. They're not so much issues. Is I just I try to feel like you know figure out what it, what it would be like and what and what people do to make connections with each other. And then when when you figure it out, and it's like these kids are connecting through huffing gas. You try to make it as fun as possible, because in that moment, sitting around thinking about how depressing it is, you're doing the thing that you want to do. Just because it's very very damaging and it's very very tragic, doesn't mean it can't also be humorous. Doesn't mean there aren't also things that are that are funny about the situation. Real honest things. And the only the only humanity in that comes from experiencing it firsthand, as to empathize with, as opposed to passively standing by and watching in horror. One thing I really liked about seeing pictures of your show and actually also uh, seeing little bit of clips of your show is the raw emotion I see in your acting. So when you kind of go at this uh, play through an actor's perspective, are there any kind of like new insights that you see within your own script? Yeah, the biggest, the, the toughest thing is to really live these dark moments as best I can. You know, mm-hmm. like, a, like a crime scene photographer is, is looking at really dark stuff all the time. And so to really do that can really wear you down. And so there's, you know, there's only so much, so much rehearsing I can do before the comedy and the lighter notes start to start to fall away. I rehearse as much as I can. And then, you know, I don't rehearse and, and I let the play be what it is for the audience that night. And it says that your play Huff actually won the 2012 Buddies in Bad Times Vanguard Award for Risk and Innovation. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it was really exciting to get that, to go to SummerWorks and share the work with people who, who really understood it. And then I, I screwed up. What? What actually, do you mean? I did something really bad. When they gave me the award, I flipped off the audience. Um, I feel so bad. Can I tell you why? Can I explain it to you? Here on the record on CITR in front of everybody. So it was the first time that they'd done award speeches, and then it was impromptu. Like somebody, the first person who won an award that night, they just went up and started speaking, giving a speech. Okay. And it was kind of weird, but then, it, but then it picked up. And so I, it was a misread on the situation. I thought I wanted to go up do something and move the show along and I thought people would get a laugh if I went up and flipped off the audience and it was a misread on the situation complicated by we were very we were elated I can tell you okay. <laughs> we were having a wonderful time <laughs> too wonderful a time in fact and I, I came off like a jerk Mitchell Cushman totally outclassed me just a moment later his production of Terminus won for, for best production he brought his entire company up and, and photographed them all to share that moment with them and to really bring them a part of it and I was so impressed by what he did, and I was so embarrassed by what I did. But um, but you know what? It was me that night at that time, so screwed up. <laughs> but it was fun. But no, but it's totally fine because again, you said it was just you at you know that point in your life, and then you know as you know we of course when we get older we want to see back and go like okay that was a bad thing I don't want to do that again. Yeah, no, I'm gonna do other bad things. Now. <laughs> 
going on with your success, actually, you won the 2015 RBC Terrigan Emerging Playwright Prize. So congratulations on that. Oh, yeah, thanks. That was pretty cool. <laughs> Any other award stories that we should know about for that one? Or is it much more of a, uh, quote-unquote, normal affair? <laughs> Oh, it was oh, it was so exciting. I mean, it was a great boon to get that. I just graduated from theater school mm-hmm. in, in May, in the spring. And so to step out and, and get this little breath of energy from the theater community from Tarragon, um, it was a really great way. Since you won that prize, I wanted to ask if you had other material that you're working on or even a future production that we might get to see soon. Aside from that award, I'm the playwright-in-residence at the Video Cabaret, and I have plays in development at Factory, Tarragon... Culture Storm, and Soul Pepper. Also, I released a record a couple months ago called Cliff Cardinal and the Skylarks. This is not a mistake. You can hear samples of it on SoundCloud. It'll be out on iTunes later this month. Congratulations. And, um, yeah, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm really busy doing... I got a bunch, a bunch of projects. And again, this is Huff for all those listeners out there who are interested in going to see the very emotionally charged and humorous show... Uh, It is at the Fire Hall Arts Center, February 2nd at 7 p.m., February 3rd to the 6th at 8 p.m., and February 6th at the 4 p.m. matinee. And I really strongly encourage all of our listeners to go out and see it. It'd be an amazing roller coaster that illuminates a lot of the darkness that is happening in society, but also the light that comes from within people. Thank you very much, Ashley. That's very beautifully put. No, thank you again, Cliff. Thank you, Ashley, for that amazing interview. No, no, Cliff was the one who made it so much possible. Thank you so much, Cliff. So much possible. Yeah, so much possibility. He gave so much possibility. Fantastic. Thank you to all our listeners who have stuck around for the entire show, hour and a half. Uh, We had some great content today, and we are Mm -hmm. so excited for next week uh, for you guys to tune in again on Wednesday, 5 to 6 p.m. That's right. CITR 101.9 FM. My name is Christine Kim. I'm Jake Clark. This is Ashley Park. And we are the Arts Report. Um, Next on the show, we have Inner Space, Space. who uh, will be playing some amazing music. So do stay tuned. Get your ecstasy ready, folks. It's a house music hour. Yeah, Stay or you're, 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 you know, you're energy ready, you mean. That's what you meant. Did I? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Yes. All righty. See you guys later.